Episode 9 of the Caught Red-Handed podcast. In this episode, I interview Rebecca Friedner, who's from the Burlington, Vermont area. I first met her at the Henna Intensive and Retreat in 2012. She was actually my roommate. And uh, it was such a whirlwind for me because I had a really busy time at work, so I could only get away for the weekend. So I flew in, flew out. But I did meet Rebecca. We talked for a little bit here and there, enough for us to know that we wanted to talk again. So we've become friends via Facebook and gotten to know each other a little bit better, and I decided I definitely wanted to interview her for this podcast. After interviewing her, I realized she's one of those very, very rare creatures who only says the words she means to say, and yet expresses herself fully with those few words. This brevity and clarity is something I really admire, and I treasure it when I hear it. Listening back to the interview, I feel like I'm kind of fumbling with every word in comparison to her. But at least I have something to aspire to, and I have this recording to remind me of that. I apologize in advance for the sound quality and parts of our conversation. There were some problems with our Skype call that uh, show up, but I hope that you can understand everything that we're saying. Also, Rebecca mentions the the term highlight reel, and she's referring to something one of our fellow henna artists mentioned on a Facebook group. The situation is that this henna artist was feeling kind of down about her own henna work compared to others she sees online. And one of her kids says, Mom, just remember, you're looking at that artist's highlight reel, but in your head, you're only seeing your blooper reel. And that reminds me of another quote that always sticks in my head, and that is that comparison is the enemy of creativity. So we talk about this a bit in the podcast, but I I wanted you to know what the highlight reel was referring to. I've been thinking a lot about feedback lately. I'm getting a lot of great feedback from you listeners out there for the podcast, which is the great side of feedback, very easy to digest. Um, Ed Kirkham recently wrote a really great post after listening to my conversation with Debbie that spoke of her reawakening in Henna. Her post reminded me a lot of feedback that I've been getting from many of you, and it's really gratifying to hear this as, as what they speak of in this feedback is exactly what I hope these conversations would spark. So thank you for sharing all of your thoughts on this. As I said, that's the nice side of feedback, the kind we all want and can handle. The flip side of that is negative feedback, which many of us fear. Some fear it so much that they keep their work to themselves, or they ignore negative feedback, or just dismiss anything negative as haters hating. I've learned over the years to seek out and love negative feedback. Yes, it does suck to hear it, but it's kind of like the bitter pill you have to swallow to make you better. I remember reading an article in which a restaurant owner said that if you never get any negative feedback or complaints, you'll never know ways in which you can fail your customers and where you need to improve. And he said every person who has a negative experience goes out and tells 10 people, whereas somebody who has a uh, positive experience doesn't really tell that many people. And he said that he encourages complaints so he can fix what's wrong and increase the number of positive experiences. 
whether or not you have clients and get feedback from them, it's always good to get feedback or critiques from somewhere. And I think as an artist, it's great to get that critique from your fellow artists. In the past few years, I've actually forgotten the power of feedback and its crucial role in my evolution as an artist. So I recently posted a bridal design on the Artist Critique Forum on Facebook to get myself back into the habit of feedback. I definitely winced at the negative comments, but everyone who said them offered suggestions on how to do it differently or how they would have done that thing differently. I recommend find a place where you can post and, and where people in your field who care about your development as an artist can give you a real critique of your work along with constructive advice on how to improve. Take that bitter pill and get better, and you'll find it's probably not as bitter as you thought. Okay, so let's get right to my conversation with Rebecca. Enjoy. So I am here with Rebecca Friedner, and um, Rebecca, you're in. Are you in what is um, considered Burlington? Or are you in some place outside of Burlington? I'm outside of Burlington. I'm south of Burlington by about half an hour. Oh, okay, that's pretty close. Yeah. yeah. So what's the town called? Virgins. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. I've seen that. I've seen that. Uh, on your website, I never knew what that was. Yeah, um, it's very small. Yes, because yeah. I've never heard of it. I probably exactly. drove through it when I was up there earlier this year. You did. Oh, okay. If I yeah, came there's... from New York, I drove through it. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, when I can, I like to start out the podcast by outing you and your dirty little secrets. Oh, good. Yeah. So. Um, I contacted some of your friends and they were more than happy to dish. Okay. So, um, and the fact that this person thought that this was a really cool, dirty little secret may say a lot more about her than it does about you. Um, <laughs> but I should ask you about roadkill. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. So you don't um, deny it. <laughs> No, I don't feel like it's a dirty secret at all. <laughs> well, I don't know. Is it roadkill Is kind it of weird? dirty? Um, it's it's um, unique. Let's just say that. Oh, <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> I have a very long history of picking animals up off the side of the road um, and bringing them home and allowing them to go through their natural process so that I can then have their skulls and their vertebrae and and you bury them or they you they just do their natural process like on your kitchen yeah, counter not on the kitchen counter okay nope. <laughs> you know part of it is because i've lived in so many interesting places the roadkill is really fascinating so <laughs> although i do have a really funny story about roadkill in new mexico and it was the first it was when i met my husband mm -hmm. 18 years ago wow and we were kind of on one of our first Dates. We were going camping out in the mountains in New Mexico. Ooh, and we sexy first date roadkill story. I can't wait. Totally. It was like it was like soulmates because we both wanted the roadkill. So um we saw this coyote on the side of the road and we're like, we have to oh get her. You know, this is amazing. We need the coyote skull. And so we <laughs> went to collect her and she was just writhing with maggots. So we put her in a garbage bag and put her on top of the truck. And we were camping in the back of the truck. We had a topper. And that night, um, it rained, which doesn't really happen very often in right. New Mexico. And we woke up to discover maggots plastered all over the outside of the topper, stuck to the windows. Yeah, yeah. But I, we were not discouraged. And now we have... Um, 
We have bobcat. We have somewhere we have a porcupine berry. We can't remember where that is. Oh no. Yeah. Can't you need remember. A sniffer dog. Yeah. Wow. So that's the roadkill story. I just I you know I'm so fascinated by earth science and by animals and I think I'm just I just like to get up close, you know. Yeah. I've, yeah. Just to find a red-tailed hawk on the side of the road and be oh. able to extend its wings and look at its talons oh, is that's just so cool. Yeah. And really. I guess, you know, if you can't really have a lot of pets, it's a good way to to bring animals into your home. Sure. And we have a lot of pets. They're oh, just do? Yeah, they're just not raptors or, you know, <laughs> wild dogs. <laughs> yeah, or bobcats. What or kind bobcats. of pets do you have? Um, we have a dog, three cats and 11 chickens. Wow. And a couple of hamsters. Oh my god. And the chickens mm-hmm. are for eggs? Yes. Very cool. Do you yep. eat them all or do you sell them? Uh, we we can't eat them all. There are too many. So yeah. I'm, we should probably sell them, but we give them away. Oh, okay. That's More than cool. anything. That's very Vermont of you. Sorry yes, to, to pull out it's the very, stereotype. No, no, it's great. I, I mean, it makes me happy. Oh, that's cool. I kind of yeah. wish I could have like a beehive here in Brooklyn. And that's oh, actually yeah. kind of getting very popular. Like It's kind of gardens. a thing where you yeah. are. Yeah. So I've always loved bees. I'm like obsessed with bees. So, um. Yeah, this is a henna podcast, and here we are talking about animals. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I totally understand that um, that compulsion, and I would love to have chickens. My neighbors want to have a chicken coop, but I don't. I don't know. I don't know how that's going to go over in Brooklyn. Yeah, no idea. Because don't you have to have a rooster for them to lay? No. Oh no, they lay infertile eggs without a rooster. Oh, how yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So we've, we wouldn't be able to have a rooster. We live in a small village with neighbors on all sides yeah, of us. They would so kill you. It, it would just be annoying. Yeah. When I lived in Morocco and I was staying at my ex-husband's house, he was then my husband. Um, there was a rooster on the neighbor's roof and it was just torture. It was so awful. Cool. Yeah. So I would be, I would be run out of town if I had a rooster in Brooklyn. So I just, uh, to forget that whole concept. I don't want one. I just want bees. <laughs> Bees, yeah. 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 Magical. I've often thought of keeping bees. Yeah. They're such interesting creatures and I don't know, like everything about them is just very cool. So, Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, this is a henna podcast. So, um, and that's the dirty little secret. Yeah, I know. Uh, I don't know, but I think that's, um, I mean, it's dirty in the sense that you're dealing with carcasses and burying them in dirt. So, I mean, I don't know. Like Nick's dirty little secret was his fascination with middle-aged um, style icons. So, you know, that's not really so dirty, but right. it's kind of an interesting fact. Anyway, yeah. so one of your friends outed you. You'll have to you'll have to find out which one. I'm sure you can guess. <laughs> um, so one of the things I wanted to ask you about, and I know nothing about this, but um, you're opening a store or you have opened your store? I am in the process of opening a shop, yes. Oh, okay. And um, what kind of shop is it? Where is it? So it's actually right here in Virgins. And that was an interesting decision. And most people are surprised when I tell them that it's not in Burlington. (laughs) Um, And, you know, I looked at shop spaces in Burlington for a long time. And not only was it cost prohibitive, but, you know, once I realized that I would be there five to six days a week, Oh, right. Not really available to 
my family. I would need to have nighttime hours and weekend hours. And, you know, I want, I want to be around. I want to be in my own community. I want to be able to walk home and have lunch if there's nothing going on at the shop. So, so I can do that. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. And uh, when is it going to open? Do you have a start date? I have an official grand opening party scheduled for October 5th. Oh, cool. So two weeks, thereabouts. Sorry to put the pressure on you. (laughs) Okay. Very well. (laughs) (laughs) Good. And are you still working your full-time job? No. Oh, congratulations. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, But you gotta, you gotta go into, into this and do it. Exactly. You'll always wonder. Exactly it. Yep. And, um, so what was I going to ask you about the shop? So what's, um, what's the plan? Is it just going to be a henna studio? Or are you going to sell things? Yes. So classes? yes. <laughs> um, I don't know about classes. I have to think about that. Um, I will, I'm going to be able to do walk-ins, you know, I'll yeah. be able to have foot traffic. I'm going to be able to host parties. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to be able to do, you know, a first Friday women's night where we can have a belly dancer and, you know, friends can come and bring wine and they can be hennaed and just, you know, I think we're always searching for that sort of, um, oh, just opportunity to be together and be nurtured without it being like, a $150 spa day or right. Yeah. Kind of like the neighborhood pub or cafe or something that's, you know, been taken over by Starbucks. Right. Yeah. That sounds cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll have my own, I mean, I make a lot of stuff. Um, so I'll have all of that there in addition to just some carefully selected merchandise. Uh huh. And um, that merchandise is going to be stuff that you make, or other people's stuff, or what are you doing? Yeah, 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 yeah. What? What? <laughs> stuff and my stuff. Oh, okay. Very cool. And um, so, um, actually, I was talking to Gnome, and he said to ask you about your crafts. And I was looking on your website, and I saw that you do like journals. You paint journals with henna designs, and you do silk stuff but what else do you what other kind of crafts do you do um i work on goat hide a lot oh right i saw that yeah so i'll decorate goat hide and wrap it around a glass lantern um and my husband is a metal worker he welds and is a blacksmith and what i'd really like to do is make me frames that i can stretch the goat hide around which is much more traditional anyway very cool so I look forward to collaborating with other artists. Yeah, that's such a great idea. And um, and so where do you get goat hides? South America. <laughs> what? what? Um, from South America, usually. Oh, okay. Oh, so you actually import them. You don't get them locally. No, but lots of people ask me that. Oh, really? Because of where we live, you know, it's so agricultural. People just assume that I'm harvesting my own goat hides and sending them. <laughs> Exactly. Or roadkill. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Goats who got hit by cars, made yeah. into little henna lanterns. So what was the day job that you quit? I was a house elf. 
<laughs> yeah. I, uh, I worked for a large family who lived in a large house and had a very busy, fairly complex life. And I did the majority of their cooking. Mm-hmm. Um, I would do their shopping. I would do, I was just sort of whatever was needed. I was there. Wow. Yeah. And then you came home and did that for your family. That's exactly right. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. It, it seems like it could be fun, but uh, it must be nice to kind of just do it only for your family and do your own thing now. Yes, I have found that cooking for my family now is enjoyable once again. I wow. love cooking, and Aww. it was just becoming such a chore. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And it's kind of the same way with henna. It's like when it's a job, it's painful, but when you do it and you really feel the love for it, it's, it's yeah. such a pleasure. Yeah. It's still a job, but it's, I don't know, it's a difference. Yes, but I think it's also that, you know, when we're working for ourselves, you know, it's that autonomy. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Is the piece that makes it different. Yeah. Exactly. So how did you get started in henna? Did you have any kind of art background or... Not an official art background. I have (laughs) always been artistic. Mm -hmm. I did not go to school for it. I have always been a maker of things. Oh, okay. Uh, But also kind of a a dappler. You know, I never really settled down and gave all of my energy to one thing. And when Henna came along, there was just no question. It was the thing. And I... That was that one thing you were waiting for to, to focus in on? It really felt like that. Yeah. And, uh, I tend to give up quickly when I don't like the results. Uh, (laughs) I, I come at things pretty fast and, and walk away quickly as well. And henna was, was not like that for me, which was really an interesting practice. Why do you think that is looking back? Oh gosh, I don't know. I wonder if it was tapping into other parts of me that were not purely artistic. You know, there are the elements of ritual. Mm. Uh, there's the, the fact that it, it brings two people together, you know? True. Yeah. And it's not just me alone getting frustrated with this thing that I can then throw across the room. You know, it's right. like, no, to work it out, you know, with this person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. It is beyond just drawing and you're sharing mm-hmm your art with the person who is going to receive it. It's very Mm -hmm. weird. (laughs) How were you first introduced to henna? What was your first experience with it? Uh, It was very random. I was at a street fest. In in Burlington or? Just outside of Burlington, yeah. okay. And uh, I had always known about henna. It's something that had fascinated me something that sort of, it was like in the back of my mind, someday I'll go to India and I will probably see henna there, you know, like, yeah, yeah, I wasn't searching for it, but I, I didn't, uh, it it was with me. Mm -hmm. And anyway, I showed up at this festival and there was a woman doing henna there and I had never seen it done before. This is probably years ago now. And I was, it was like finding, you know, a hundred dollars on the sidewalk. It was just like, Oh my God, I can't believe this is here. She's doing this. It was like total magic. 
So I sat down with her and she had all of her henna things in this big black garbage bag. Oh, God. And, and she was kind of cranky. And in retrospect, I think it was the end of the fest and she was probably trying to get out of there. Oh, right. I was so enamored and so excited that I did not see any of that. I was like, oh, you will put henna on me right now. <laughs> she did. And yeah, it was it was cranky henna. And, and I wore it for two weeks thinking... You know, I love this, but the experience was really disappointing. And yeah. um, there was just, I don't remember there being a thought between getting that on my hand and getting on the bench back then was like not especially helpful and yeah. trying to figure out how I could get some and start working. There was just, there was no thought. It was just like all action. It was Must very do. interesting. Yeah. Must do. So this henna artist that you met at the festival, did you ever see her again or did you ever I did. talk yeah, to her? Yeah, she's still around. Um, oh, yeah. wow. She, um, she's not really active in any of our forums. Um, mm-hmm. I don't, I, I saw her a couple of years ago at one of the state fairs. Uh, mm-hmm. She's, I don't know. She's just sort of in the background. I've, huh. Interesting. I know. It's, it's sort of interesting. I don't know. I don't know. And is she is she Indian or Moroccan or is she from a henna country no. or is she just no? She's a she's just American. American mix of some yep. sort. Yep. Wow. Yeah. So weird. I know. It's amazing though when you actually see henna done, and I think we all see our clients experience it. But I remember, for me, that's what blew my mind was seeing it done. Like I saw it. I saw a design on a hand, but then seeing it actually drawn on there just was, it was way too much for my brain yeah. to handle. And I still, I mean, I, I'm like hungry for videos of people doing henna. I, I could watch those all day long, still eight, nine years <laughs> later, you know, scouring YouTube for the one I haven't seen That's yet. So cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. It's and I love the ones that are speeded up and it's just like I was telling you in my email to you, I was watching the video on your website and you guys have to check it out if you haven't seen it. With you you have um acrylic paint in a cone and you're painting this design on or henning this design on a journal and it's just like I felt like I was just tripping or something I just got so totally focused on that and I'm sitting in my office okay I shouldn't be looking at you know henna videos in my office and especially and And what exactly (laughs) and then meanwhile I'm just like tripping out and like tuning out the entire world it's so cool yeah (laughs) there's I was reading an article in the New Yorker about was it? Oh no, it wasn't in the New Yorker. It was on This American Life, and there's some disorder where people like to hear people whisper, and they and they also like they get some kind of not a sexual thrill, but just some kind of like peaceful bliss when they hear people whisper. Okay. And they also these same people, the same disorder makes people like to watch other people put on makeup. And so there are all these video channels for this thing. And they'll, these people will just sit and watch people put on makeup for hours on oh. YouTube. It's so interesting. I can't remember what it's called. It's called like MSRH or something. It's a very odd disorder. I'm still trying to figure out why it's a disorder though. 
Um, I is guess it because it proclivity. Yeah, maybe proclivity, but I guess it's kind of, and it's it's an obsessive behavior that kind I of ruins people's lives in some cases. Like one woman, she could not stop watching these videos, and she, you know her boyfriend was complaining that she wasn't spending any time with him, and you know it's kind of like somebody who's got you know an addiction to video games and they just keep doing it and the rest of their life just kind of falls by the way. Wow. So, yeah. So I don't know. Is that a disorder? I don't know. Um, it's a, it's an obsession. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they have a name for it. I don't know if it's in the, um, whatever that is, the handbook for mental illness. I always call it BDSM, but I don't think that's <laughs> it. <laughs> so, um, so what was your first experience? Sorry, I went way off track. So what was your first experience? Are you back? I'm here. Uh, so what was your first experience doing actual henna? Did you henna yourself? Did you henna a friend? Oh, gosh, do I remember? I'm sure I hennaed myself. Yeah. yeah. And I remember it came, I, I gosh, the internet eight years ago, I'm sure you remember, was not especially helpful. Yeah. But I yeah. found this like chunky twiggy henna powder that came with cones. I was like, oh my God, I'm not even going to have to roll the cones. It's amazing. And they were Perfect. just these like foil mylar heat sealed with this big fat seam with like, oh God. I don't even know what like old packaging it was from, you know, like some old <laughs> packaging. And, yeah. but I remember the smell of mixing the henna the first time. And I kept all of the little bits in this little, um, like apple crate, like a wooden apple crate in pantry. Mm -hmm. And every time I would have a moment, I would take it out and like mix up some henna and, and sort of fondle all the little bits of it. And I still remember that smell as being probably one of the yeah. most comforting and familiar smells of my adult life. Like right wow. up there next to coffee in the morning and yeah. Wow. That's yeah, intense. really intense. Really intense. Yeah. Yep. And that definitely solidifies that whole attraction to it. And also, you know, you were saying that you would go into something really hot and heavy and then kind of drop it when it got difficult. But that, I think that sensory experience of henna really kind of locks it in. And then also that interaction with the other human, those are two things that are really so unique about yes. henna and they affect me yeah. too. Like I sometimes when I'm in a mood or something and I want to be in a good mood to mix henna, I always use orange water. Cause that kind of brings me oh. back to Morocco and my first experiences. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm kind of weird. Like I don't like to mix henna with bad thoughts in my head, especially not for brides. So I'm always like trying to get myself like centered and calm and, and good thoughts I in my totally head. I am totally the same way. Oh, yeah. that's cool. I thought I was the only crazy one. No. And sometimes, you know, I'll be mixing, mixing, mixing and distracted or like yelling at the, or helping with the math homework, which is just like yelling at the kids and, you know, realizing <laughs> like, no, 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 I, I need to focus, you know, I'm mixing henna right now. This is yeah. not just a, yeah. a, a side thing in the kitchen, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You're not just emptying the litter box or something. Exactly. Right. Or doing dishes yeah. or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. 
since we're talking about henna, I was just thinking about something that we've been talking about online a lot and somebody called it henna inferiosis. And when you and I were talking about meeting, you were like, Oh, I'm feeling a bout of henna inferiosis. So what is that? What does that feel like for you? And, and is there like a particular trigger? Or is it just the end of the, of a long season? Well, I'll start with what it feels like to me. Um, and when I described it to a friend of mine, who's also a therapist, he said, Oh, it's like, um, imposter syndrome. <laughs> what it feels like to what? me imposter is, syndrome? yeah, where you're sort of like, who the hell do I think I am? You know, who am I to be doing this bride's henna? Who am I? Like, oh, why are yeah. these people calling me? It's just me. You know, I'm no different from, from anyone else. And, um, so what it feels like to me is, I think it probably comes along with a little bit of an artistic rut um, where everything I'm churning mm. out sort of looks the same. Um, it can feel like I cannot believe I've built an entire life around this one thing. It feels so random sometimes and weird to have yeah. my life be so focused on this one plant this one art form this you know, um so it's a little bit of an identity crisis as well you know is there so if you don't feel good about henna you don't feel good about yourself yes i think it's you know as a female too i can see the cycles that are in my artistic confidence really follow my hormonal cycles as well um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. No doubt about it. Sometimes more powerfully than others. Um, and what brings it on? It could be any number of things. It could be that I've had a whole series of gigs that just feel like work, you know, feel somewhat mm -hmm. underappreciated. Mm -hmm. You don't have the mom gushing over your shoulder the whole time. Um, you leave <laughs> the party deaf and just filthy and exhausted and, um, you know, or a rained out festival or, mm -hmm. uh, and then just paying attention too much to other people, you know, other people's perceived successes or, oh yeah, you know, spending too much time comparing the mm -hmm. work that I'm doing or the, the business choices I've made or yep. uh, how many likes on Facebook. You know, it comes down to that sometimes when I'm at a really low point. You know, it's like, yep. oh. oh my God, I feel like I'm talking to myself in the yeah. mirror. <laughs> you know, and like I can totally, in the back of my mind, there's that voice that's like, Rebecca, the Facebook likes, really? You know? Why the hell do you care Why? about that? It's so stupid. And yet and I notice that. I can't help totally, it. Totally, totally, totally. And, <laughs> you know, not only Ugh. is it stupid, but the Facebook likes do nothing for the success of my business. Exactly. Exactly. You know? 
So it isn't even logical. I mean, it's stupid because you shouldn't care about that stuff, but there's absolutely no benefit to it, except your little ego is like, oh, this person got 70 likes and I got four. Exactly. It's all. So yes, I have really, this has been an interesting time for me. I have really been focusing on um, the way I respond to the world and how often that response is based purely on ego. Um, Mm. and how often that response is, you know, another larger part of myself, you know, um, and really trying, really consciously trying to make decisions and judgments in my life based on, I, I don't know what the other part of oneself is when you're not functioning directly from the ego, you know, but it's still in there, obviously. Uh, yeah, just like rising above the ego and being a part of a bigger, I don't know, bigger consciousness or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I do a lot of um, talking myself down, talking myself up. <laughs> <laughs> talking yourself right into that sweet spot. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know, chewing yeah. the little gremlins off my shoulder and... Oh, yep. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's a struggle sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting hearing you say that. Cause I, I don't know, maybe it's something in the planets or I don't know, but I've been feeling that very intensely for the last maybe nine months, mm-hmm. maybe longer. And I feel like I'm just, I don't know. I don't know why I care so much about what other people think of me. And and yet, you know, I find myself responding to all this stuff out there. And I was, I was doing Facebook fast just to, because I could see that that was a big trigger yes. for me. Yes. Yes. So, and know. it's, so- and it was affecting my work too. Right. You know, my henna work. Right. And it's so interesting because we know, you and I both know that Facebook can be not only a distraction, but somewhat debilitating as an artist. Toxic. 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 I would exactly. call it toxic. <laughs> and yet, I mean, I love connecting with people. It's awesome. And that's the best thing about Facebook. But there's so much to- toxicity absolutely. in there. Absolutely. And yet we, we keep coming back. And that's yeah. such an interesting thing. And even as I'm going back to it, you know, after thinking, you know, if you're on, a, on some really great artistic run and, I, you know, sometimes when I'm working alone and I'm just churning out the goat hide patterns or the, the, uh, (laughs) paintings or whatever it is, I'll be on a roll and it feels so good. And Mm. I'll take a break and get on Facebook. And it's, even if nothing is, you know, overtly affecting my self-confidence, it is still a complete distraction from that, that mood that I had so carefully, sort of created, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's, yeah. And you just kind of undo all of that flow that you had. Completely undone. Yeah. But then I do like communing with people who I don't see every day, you know, who I don't see because they live in other places and it's, you know, it's really supportive. Like, and you know, you and I had that interaction when I was having this meltdown because one of my clients called me a swindler. 
And uh, I just have to keep bringing up that word. And I was just, you know, I'm just sitting here alone in my apartment on fire with rage. And I don't have a roommate. I don't have anybody who lives with me. So nobody, I didn't have anybody to talk me down. And going onto Facebook and having people, you know, listen to me was very therapeutic. And then your advice to just let it go was really helpful too. And it's exactly what I would tell somebody if they went on, you know, a rampage talking about this stuff. Um, so it was, you know, for me, that was like, that's a, that's quintessentially what I love about Facebook is that ability to get, you know, a mass of voices to help you figure out an issue, but the side effects are, yeah, I know, I know it's sort of like, you know, I guess you could think about it like dessert, you know, like once in a while, Mm. it's just really important to have chocolate mousse, but you know, yeah. if you eat it between every meal, eventually it's going to be toxic, you know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So Facebook triggers your inferiosis and... Um... You know what it is? I think Facebook just takes me away from myself too much. You know, it's... Mm. You're, you're thrust into the lives of however many hundreds of people you're in contact with. And, mm. you know, it's like total ADD. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it's that comparison thing. And then I see somebody succeeding by doing X, Y, or Z. And I think, well, I could do X, Y, or Z. And then all of a sudden I think I should be doing X, Y, or Z. Mm -hmm. And then when I stop looking at Facebook and I go, I have no interest in X, Y, or Z, whether I could do it well or not. And why am I like all of a sudden looking up, you know, what materials do I need to do X, Y, and Z? On the internet, I am just losing my mind. I just like get completely off track from myself, like yes. you say. It is terrible. Do you do you also get that inferiosis from like a long season? Do you just kind of burn out, or is it cyclical, as you were saying? Before? Oh, it's definitely both. It's it's cyclical, and then mm. at the end of the season, you know, when I'm so tired and so burnt out, and I do start to question this life that I've built around this this Mm. art form, this, which is a lifestyle, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. And that's more about the burnout than the inferiosis. Right. That's one could lead to the other quite easily. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You're kind of in that weak state from being burned out and then you spend three minutes on Facebook and that's it. Yeah. You're done. (laughs) You're done for. (laughs) So what's the breakdown of your gigs? Like what percentage is parties? Which, what percentage is festivals, private appointments, brides? Mm. Do you do you have an idea? Of that? Um, I don't have numbers because I'm I'm not numbers a, person. Approximate. Approximate. Yeah. Uh, well. <laughs> How you perceive it. Even. I, I do a lot of uh, parties. I'd say that's probably most, mostly where I find myself are, you know, adolescent parties, sometimes women's parties, like a women's night. Mm -hmm. I've done several divorce parties, which are really funny. Um, (laughs) And uh, I really have done so few festivals this year. I I think I'm just getting really tired of it. I'm tired of the schlepping. I'm I'm tired of being, having my income be so weather dependent. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just such a gamble. So yeah, I have a regular weekly art market, which I love. Um, and 
Oh, that sounds cool. Is that yeah. in Burlington? Nope, it's in that... Burlington. And that's, you know what? That's mm-hmm. the market I was doing the day that you came into town. Oh. Yeah, it's directly across the street from the Flynn. In that park. Uh, yeah. Because yes. I saw everyone breaking down from it and um, you were long I'm gone. Sorry. I know I had such regret okay. about the decision. I, you know, <laughs> That's okay. You would have regretted it either way. And I'm like, it must have been really bad for me to turn down getting a beer. Lisa, because... <laughs> like, I know. Like, how bad could it have been? But... Yeah, but it's hard when you do a fair. I know that feeling from when I used to do it and you go home and there's nothing that can move you because you're just exhausted and it was, you know, a hot day and you're working all day. I know that feeling totally. Yes. But, well, I'm glad you understood. Yeah, I have so yeah. been there. Um, there are very few brides in the area who um, mm. do, who want henna. Um most of the Indian brides that I have done have been women from New York or Boston doing destination weddings in my area. Oh, that's cool. It's very cool. I love it. Uh, and then the, you know, American born Caucasian brides are, you know, it's sort of like a bohemian uh, wedding. Uh-huh. And I love that too. Uh, but there's not a whole lot of it. Yeah. Yeah. So you would say parties are the yeah, majority? parties and um, and my art market. And then I do a couple of key fairs or festivals that are I know are uh-huh. slamming and it's totally worth my effort. Yeah. Yeah. What do you like best? What's your ideal henna appointment or henna mm. um, situation? My ideal appointment. I, lo- I love individual appointments. But, you know, I really, I love my art market. And I think because I've been doing it for six years, I have seen children grow up. You know, I've seen uh, regulars send their kids off to college. You know, I have this incredible, consistent and um, dedicated customer base at this point that seek me out every Saturday during the summer. And it's just... It's really wow. fun. It's really fun. Yeah, that's probably my favorite thing. Oh, yeah. that's cool. And once you open your shop, will you still do the art market? Yes, I could never not do the art market. Because <laughs> it kind of feels like your shop is like a local version of that yeah. now. You know, or it's Yes, be... I'm hoping. And I hope people will understand that on Saturdays I'll be opening late later in the afternoon because <laughs> I'll be. Oh, yeah. But... Yeah, no, I could never stop. I just love it. Um, Nev was saying, and I never really thought about your work this way, um, but she was saying that you, I'll just quote her. She says that um, you have the best handle on how to make henna look like jewelry of any henna artist out there. Do you, do you consciously try and make it look like jewelry? Um, Oh, that's such a nice compliment. Thanks, Nev. (laughs) No. I don't consciously think about it as jewelry, but, you know, I can see that because I'm really focused on placement and making it elegant. And I like Mm -hmm. it when it elongates the fingers. I like having little dangly bits come off the wrist Mm -hmm. when a band sits just right on the hand. So it's sort of like when you're wearing a big bangle, the place that it falls when your hand is hanging down. 
Oh yeah. It's just, it's really sexy. And I just love that. Yeah. I love focusing on that kind of placement. You know, it's interesting. Cause when, when I saw it, um, what she said, I was thinking like, Oh, henna, like jewelry, like those things that the Indian brides wear that go down, you know, from their bracelet to their fingers. And that was, and I was looking at work and I'm like, I really don't get what she's talking about. But I did see like the way that you use little bits of ornamentation on your designs to kind of like carry the eye down. It kind of reminds me of some of the like, um, granulated gold, um, stuff that they, and I was just thinking about it cause I saw that, um, puppet on your wall, the Indonesian jewelry where they have like those kind of elongated shapes and then they have the granulation and, and that's what I was feeling when I was looking at your designs is just the way the eye gets pulled in different directions. And, and like you said, it really, um, accentuates the shape of the hand or elongates it or makes it more elegant in the same way that jewelry does. Yeah. I, think I like to think of henna as something that you put on that you slip into, you know, to mm -hmm. it just being slapped on to the body, like a sticker, you know, I'm, it's <laughs> yeah. what makes a good tattooist as well, I guess. Right. When we see a tattoo, that's just like a word in this huge, vast field of a chest or something as opposed mm -hmm. to something that works more with the body. Yeah. Yeah. And really celebrates the shape of the body and accentuates mm -hmm. it. And it looks like it belongs there. She was also talking about the use of, of your simple elements and that I, I understand when I look at your work because, and this is something I always tell my students. I said, anybody can do henna. It's just lines and dots and it's how you combine them. And I think that's what, that's what you do so well because you do take, you know, these, the elemental shapes and you put them together in a unique way. And so it's very simple. And yet there's, I don't know, it's hard to say the complexity is built out of simplicity. And then also the clean, clean cleanliness, the cleanness of your lines, the fineness of your lines makes it not, you know, it, I don't know. I'm not, articulating it very well, but I just thought Nev's comment was really interesting. Oh, I, I hear what you're saying. I understand what you're saying. I think, um, yes, I definitely tend to have, a, my henna can be a little sparse sometimes. And sometimes I wish that it weren't that way. And <laughs> I don't know how to make it not that way. <laughs> But I like that. I like the sparseness because the, you know, it's like a breath of fresh air within the design. You know, you have like room for your eyes to kind of relax and then move on to the next. Yes. Thing. I think that that's exactly it. I think I, you know, when I find something beautiful, it's almost like number one, my eyes need a place to rest, but number two, there needs to be a jewel in there. There needs to be some perfect little nugget that's just treat you know for the yeah um and i know when i've when i've hit it when i've done a, a design that does all of those things it's really pleasing to me or when i come across a design by somebody else that does all of those things yeah, yeah. you just kind of yeah. feel it feel that it's yeah. it's right i was i also talked to noam so now you know the two people that i i um I bugged for information about you. And he said that um, he 
he says your work has a minimalism to it. Would you agree with that? Uh, I guess so. Yeah. I mean, I think that when I was talking about it being a bit sparse, I suppose you could call it minimalism, mm-hmm. which sounds more intentional. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but also it's like, I never think of henna and minimalism, you know, in the same paragraph, even that just seems so counterintuitive. I think, I think the way I work with henna, at least right now, I anticipate that it will change and grow as I change and grow as an artist person. Mm-hmm. But um, I am, it's very important to me in my life that I am understood that, you know, I speak clearly that my thoughts are portrayed accurately and that the person receiving them gets it. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's how I work with henna as well. I think I don't want anything in there muddling it up. Uh, and when mm-hmm. I do that by not stopping while I'm ahead, while I'm working on a design, it's really frustrating when I know that I've gone too far and design doesn't mm-hmm. say what I needed it to say anymore. And it's just sort of a mess. Does that make sense? No, it totally does. It's, you know, it's kind of like a writer who just ran across some quote from dead poet society where Robin Williams says, never use the word very. So you, um, it's just a lazy way of speaking. So instead of saying I was very tired, you say I was exhausted And that's kind of what it makes me think of. Like, instead of making the design look pretty with more lines, you're trying to pare it down to what makes it pretty. Mm -hmm. Although you can't really pare down henna. You just have to go in already paring it down, I guess. Yeah. So he, um, he was, he, a gnome, he, um, was asking how do these restrictions that you put on yourself, this desire for brevity and concision, how does that lead to creativity mm. instead of holding you back? Oh, what a good question. I, you know, I think it's sort of like focusing on the negative space. It's, um, I don't feel that I'm restricting myself at all. I feel to attain something by laying down just the right amount of henna, you know, and (laughs) sweet spot where, like I said before, there's a place to rest your eyes and there's that sweet golden nugget somewhere in there. That's just juicy, you know? (laughs) I love that image. It's awesome. Yeah. It's interesting. Like to, to actually think of creating a design, based on negative space. Cause I, I don't know, I always work from the design and then I kind of have in the back of my mind that I want negative space, but I never really plan out what that negative space is. Yeah. Be. I, I certainly don't think I plan it out consciously. I think it's just something that happens. You just have that eye to leave that space and you know that it's going to feel good I think there. So I, I, oh, I yeah. you know, it's funny. I've never really thought so much or talked. So Uh-oh, I hope I'm not cramping your your natural inclinations. Next time you draw, you're going to be like, oh, no, negative space is obsessing me. Not smart enough. <laughs> <laughs> what will I think? How many likes will it get? 
<laughs> oh God, no. <laughs> uh, there is an application that you can install on your computer that hides all the likes and all of the, I think it might also, I think it hides likes and shares. Really? Yeah. And why was it created? For people like us. Who are like addicted <laughs> to the dopamine response. Exactly. Their higher self-worth based on the number of likes on the phone. Exactly. Emphasis on dope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it was kind of like a commentary of, you know, what would it be like if you didn't know who liked something and who didn't? What if you just had to have your own experience of yeah. something? Yeah. So. I'm game. I'll do that. Yeah. <laughs> it might be good for us. It might be good for our mental yeah. health. So Noam was also, he said that you are extraordinarily productive. Is this I true? I am? <laughs> In what no. way? What do you mean? <laughs> What? Um, I guess I don't know. Like all of your artistic stuff, he says you're very productive. You do you produce a lot of artwork? I guess. Um, do you see yourself that? No, I feel like I'm always struggling to be productive. (laughs) I mean, maybe from the outside it looks like that. Um, no, I am. You know, I'm a mom, and I have this household, and I have these kids, and everybody's needs come first. And, you know, if there's a little bit of time left in the end of the day and I'm not already asleep, then maybe, maybe I'll art. And uh, otherwise I have to, you know, now that I have the shop, it's different and it will be different. And I cannot wait to have the time and space to just make stuff. I love making stuff. Do you? Um, so maybe uh, Noam is looking at my Facebook persona. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, that one. <laughs> and then he's secretly envying you and feeling like crap about himself. <laughs> I think that might be. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely, you know, I do about three or four holiday fairs in the wintertime, uh, November and December. And I do crank out a lot of stuff then. And it, it's fun and it's exhausting and stressful, but um, mm. it means that I can take a solid two weeks off in December with my family while my kids are on break. And um, so that's pretty cool. Yeah. Oh, okay. So maybe that's what he's experiencing. I don't know. <laughs> it's interesting. So when you have the shop, you'll just be sitting in the shop making stuff, henning, doing things, artistic. Yeah. And then putting it out on the shelf and not having to schlep it back and forth from here and there. And yeah, no, it really does. I cannot wait. It's coming together. It's been, you know, um, quite an enterprise. I have started with like no money at all. Um, and no business plan and no business experience at all. Um, so, you know, but this is sort of how I do things in my life. So I, I'm the idea of going to business school and writing a business plan and potentially getting a loan makes me want to throw up. So that's doing it. 
So how are you doing it instead of that? Um, <laughs> you know, I it again. I'm just. It's just action. I'm just. I'm creating space <laughs> that's beautiful and inviting. Um, I am telling everyone I know and their mother that now they can have henna parties there and it will be more affordable uh, and mm-hmm. that they can bring wine and that I will have belly dancers and, you know, that all of this, this dream, you know, it's something that I've wanted to do for a really long time. So oh, that's have cool. it manifesting actually is pretty remarkable. That's amazing. Yeah. And it sounds really fun too. I think it will be. I think you're going to have to come up and visit. I think I'm going to have to. It's kind of like the store is kind of like the, it's like old fashioned Facebook in a way. (laughs) What? Oh, I can't hear you. What do you mean by old fashioned Facebook? Oh, like, you know, people getting together and, you know, just interacting in the real world. I guess that's not really old fashioned. It's just, you know, it just doesn't seem to be the way that people interact so much. I think that's exactly the thing that is moving me to create this space is, and I tried to articulate this earlier and I did a really poor job, but, you know, to, to fill the void of, um, that sense of community, that sense of being together and having an actual experience in an actual place with actual live dancing and, you know, art and, um, you know, for me to be able to facilitate that and create an ambiance and provide something as nurturing, as beautiful as henna in that space is my ultimate dream. And it, and that's the kind of thing that I think we need. You know, we're so we're so disconnected and digital and mass produced that that kind of very homey, mm-hmm. uh, personal thing is just it feels like it feels so special. And I think that's one of the things that I like about travel is you can go to places where that kind of thing is still right. prevalent. Yeah, in the very brief time that I spent in. Morocco last spring, um, one of the things that I noticed right away is that nobody is on a phone, (laughs) a computer, and there are cafes everywhere, and is sitting there on their laptop, nobody. Um, They're they're talking with their friends and their neighbors and holding hands. (laughs) Yeah. And in Morocco, all the cafe chairs face out. Like you don't have people around a table. They're all behind the table looking out at the world going by. Yeah. 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 So what did you want to be when you were a kid? Or what did you want to be when you grow, grew up? Gosh, I, I don't think I ever knew. Oh, really? No, I never really thought about my adult life like that. I... I mean, from the very beginning, I've been adventurous. I knew I wanted to have adventures. I knew I wanted to, um, I think I've always been somewhat of an outlier. Uh, mm-hmm. And I wanted to explore that more deeply, you know, um, 
Mm-hmm. And I have, I have, I've had many adventures. My life now is, is, um, pretty docile and domesticated. <laughs> <laughs> but it sounds like you're still kind of creating adventures for yourself. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the shop is kind of, that's a huge adventure. It is a, a huge and probably one of my most terrifying adventures. I Why, why is it terrifying? Um, I think because it has a lot to do with money. Um, and, mm. You know, yeah. having quit the day job and all this month has been spent painting and moving stuff in and organizing, um, which is neither artistic nor uh, does it create an income yeah <laughs> you know moments when I'm in there and I'm like what am I doing this is the stupidest idea ever you know uh, yeah down shelves all day and like you know like trying to figure out how I'm going to wash dishes when there's no running water in the space oh geez you know because I want to offer tea and I'm going to be producing dishes. So it's, so then I find myself, oh, I have to go buy dish pans and I have to figure this out. And, and the logistics are really, are, have a tendency to bog me down and, and yeah. the vision in sight, you know, someone mm-hmm. from the neighborhood will pop in and just be like, oh my God, this is the most exciting thing. When are you opening? We can't wait, you know, and it, it's a little bit of a, a, a nudge, you know, a reminder of exactly. Yeah. I'm doing and how important I think it will be to provide that kind of a space. Yeah, that's really yeah. cool. I love it. What is your dream of what your henna work will be like? What would you, what would you like it to be? Artistically? Yeah. Or practically. Um, I would like it to, Involve less schlepping. Um, That's oh my god, practical. I am so over the schlep. I I really am. Uh, Monday morning, every Monday morning, I throw the like tell the kids get in the car. We're late for school, and inevitably it is filled with the tables and the chair and the bins and the you know and it's oh, like geez. really <laughs> every Monday, you know. Yep. Um, I I hope to continue to grow as an artist. Um, I hope to continue to, um, or I, I shouldn't say continue, but I hope that my art will grow from an authentic place within myself and not be too heavily influenced on, uh, whether the community at large likes what I'm doing or, um, is excited about what I'm doing. I think if my customers and I are excited about what I'm doing, then that's, that's all that's really important. Um, I can see myself doing henna indefinitely. I'd love for my daughter to be able to work with me someday. Um, right now she's, she's definitely, um, delineating doesn't have too much interest in my endeavors, but I hope that changes someday. <laughs> yeah. So she's 14. How old is she? Yeah. Oh, wow. I can't believe you have. Yeah, my son is 16. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Crazy. 
It is amazing. amazing. I can't believe it myself. Yeah. It is incredible. You really, if, if you guys haven't met Rebecca, she does not look old enough to have teenagers. <laughs> I, it's trust might, me. And I might not be old enough to have it's teenagers. <laughs> I'm still figuring okay. this all out. I don't really know what I'm oh, doing. Okay. See. <laughs> I thought maybe you'd lost no, your birth no, certificate. No, no, I'm just making it up as I go along. I don't know what I'm doing. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> that sounds like your henna art yes. as well. Yes. Yep. So what did your parents do when you were growing up? Huh. Um, my mom worked in retail most of the time. There was a time when she worked days and went to school at night. Uh, my mom and dad were not together. They were they split up when I was two or three. So they had very separate lives. Oh, wow. um, and it was a yeah, it was an it was an interesting childhood. My mom though she probably would be the last to admit it is incredibly artistic and creative. And I, you know, I learn a lot from her and, um, she just has an incredible eye for, um, like, like spatial, like in a room, if we're rearranging furniture, you want my mom there. Cause she'll, She'll have it dialed. She knows exactly where everything needs to go, and it's not at all what you had would have thought was going to work. Oh yeah, and she loves art. Um, and my dad is a photographer and also very creative. There was a spell when he made jewelry. He actually made my wedding rings. Um, so there's definitely some creative energy in my life growing up. But not yeah, focused, cool. you know, but it was always there. Yeah, just that kind of um, undercurrent. Yeah, of art or like people who make stuff, you know, people who do things with their hands. Yeah. yeah. So so I was asking you what you would like to see your henna, your henna career become. What would you like to see the future of the art mm-hmm. of henna? Where would you like that to go? What's your ideal world? Huh. I guess I what I would really love is for henna to be part of every, you know, gathering, every celebration, every ritual in this country, you know, to just be completely normalized or you know, oh, you're it's prom night. Everybody you, you get henna or or you know, like your daughter is coming home from overseas after two years and of course the henna artist will be at the house or somebody will be doing henna or um it's funny when I teach my school and library programs and I talk to the kids about you know where henna is like what sort of situation henna is typically used um you know we go down the list of marriage parties you know whatever it is and then I ask them to sort of tell me what is similar about all of those events and ultimately they're celebratory. And I think it's so interesting yeah. that um, henna makes its way into these moments that are, um, that we want to remember and that are significant, not, not always joyful, you know, it's not always like a, a birthday party, but, um, yeah, but important nonetheless. And I guess I would just like to see that 
more and more, not only because it will keep us artists um, at work, but just because I think that henna offers a lot to a group of people. I think it gives a focus. I think it, um, it it's a great icebreaker. You know, as soon as you doing the henna at a party, yeah. you know what it's like. Everyone has something to talk about now, yeah. you know, yeah. um, and I just, and it's and it also builds intimacy exactly. too. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah, and it's interesting. It's you know, it's kind of like what we were saying about, you know, losing that human connection and henna at a party is so it's really all about human connection. It's art that, you know, no one's photoshopping it onto you. It's actually and, and it's so funny to see clients are so amazed that you can do it. And, you know, even if you're not very good and you're just a beginner, it's still amazing to watch yeah. an artist draw things on your skin. I don't know why that's such an, such a kind of um, visceral really is. It absolutely is. And I didn't have that experience for several years until I went to um, the henna con, the henna caravan conference in California. My first time mm -hmm. seeing other henna artists at work. And then even oh. more, you know, seeing them work on my body and realizing like, oh my God, like this is what I'm doing for other people. Like this is the experience <laughs> I'm giving them. This is yeah. amazing. It's just amazing. Yeah. And, you know, there's something, obviously we know this really special and important about sitting across the table from a complete stranger and holding their hand for 15 minutes or two hours yep. and yep. you know really being with that person uh, oh I have to tell you about the weirdest thing that happened I was doing um uh a festival in Burlington recently and I was sitting across from this woman she had been doing watercolor paintings um and they were very cool paintings and she was just sort of sitting on the side of the room. It was a big event in Burlington called Art Hop and she was doing all these watercolor paintings and she jumped in the chair as soon as there was an opening and she was so excited, like sort of how I feel when I'm about to get henna, you know, she's like, oh I can't wait, this is so exciting. Mm -hmm. And so I'm I'm working on her hand and I'm pretty focused. I wanted it to be good for her because I really I was really digging her. And there was, I hope people don't think I'm crazy, but there was this heat coming off of her hand and this like a vibration around her hand and around where I was working that was so palpable that I paused and I was about to look up at her and say, what is, what's going on? You know, like it was incredible. I look up lifted my cone. I looked up and I'm about to say, you know, what's going on? And she was meditating. She had her eyes completely closed and her other hand was in her lap. And she was so present and so grounded that it was just from her. And, you know, and it was like, yes, it was just the coolest thing. And afterwards I kept wanting to say like, that was a really amazing experience. I really liked, you know, sitting with you, but I couldn't think of a way to say it. That wasn't totally weird. So you know, she just scurried yeah. off and, and that was that, but. Um. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's really so interesting. interesting. It was definitely one of the first times I've ever felt something like that. So 
clearly where like I needed to discuss it with the other person, you know? Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. There's really no other art that allows that and very few, I don't know, other, there aren't a lot of human interactions Mm. that are like that. You know, you have that experience with the person you're dating or married to, you know, you have these intimate moments, but it's very rare to have them with strangers or partners. Right. And I think most of our interactions are very guarded because we fear that it will be too sexual or too uncomfortable or will be misunderstood. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's like henna is an excuse to to allow us all to have that I really feel that. Yeah, I really do believe that it's it's a really safe place to just be intimate with someone without there being any confusion about why we're sitting together holding hands having Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or you like leaning down behind her with your face in her butt and doing henna on her back or something. Exactly. I mean, it's just yeah. It's a it's an important it's an important thing we do, I think, and as you were saying, especially in this day and age when so much of our way of relating to each other is sterile and digital and guarded yeah and and henna's is gritty, you know it's messy sometimes I look at my hands while I'm working on someone, and I'll be like, "God, I hope they're not grossed out, you know it's and on my fingernails and my thumb and index finger are completely stained, you know, during the business. Yeah. Like black and, you know, I'm a mess and I have glitter in my cleavage. And, but, you know, but it's just, it's just what it is. It's this gritty, real exchange, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's so organic and yeah. yeah. Authentic. So, What's the last thing that made your heart skip a beat or your jaw drop? Mm, you mean in the henna world? Anything. Oh. But you can give me an example of anywhere and in henna if you want. Um, hmm. I, I think the things that really... I try to walk every morning... And because of where I live, pretty much any place I choose to walk is remote and, you know, pretty deep into the natural world in the woods Mm -hmm. or on dirt roads. And, um, if I really, if I really give myself the time and I don't bring my phone and I give myself an hour, Mm -hmm. I will without fail have a moment of ultimate bliss you know whether it's whether it's just finding myself being so present that i'm noticing suddenly the sound that the leaves make in the wind or um that you know um the more present i am the more wildlife i see as well so i will frequently see um turkeys i can't remember what a group of turkeys is called uh not a flock. Maybe it's a flock. Again. Gaggle? No, it's a geese. Well, it's geese. <laughs> you know, and sometimes I'll be lucky and I'll see the tom like displaying with all the feathers out like a peacock does, you know? All the, all the girls are sort of like pretending that they don't see him and they're just kind of scratching at the ground and he's walking around shaking his tail feathers and um, I'll see river otters. I have seen live coyotes in the hills. 
I see all wow. sorts of birds of prey. Um, I saw a heron the other day. So those are the moments that make me gasp and bring me back to, I think, what feels most real in my life um, and most aware of the things that catch me up and take me away from myself. Yeah. 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 And is there anything in the, in the henna world that's made your heart skip a beat, made, hmm. made you gasp? Hmm. Gosh, I'm not thinking of anything right now. I'm sure all I'd have to do is look at my little folder of photos that I yank, inspiration yeah. folder, and be like, oh, right, there's this one. Um, but I'm not thinking of it right now. Maybe interviewing it, interviewing you at the end of the season during during burnout season is maybe not the best time to ask you that. Rio says, it's all crap. I hate it all. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Last thing I want to think about is henna. Just oh, stop. you know what I saw recently that made me really happy um, was Nev did a piece and she posted on Facebook along with the story of the young woman who has been suffering from just, I think she's had an ovary removed and she's had cysts anyway. And she asked Nev to do some sort of healing work on her abdomen. And I, I loved the story and I loved Nev's piece because it was so... Nev, it was so delicate and um, careful, and there was it was the obvious shape of the ovaries and the womb, and tucked inside these two little corners were like little egg sacs, you know, but done beautifully in Nev's language. And you know, and I just thought, yeah. you know, this is a good reminder again of what's so true and good about what we can offer people, you know, and. Um, yeah, so that one pops up for me because it just it's special. Yeah, I'll have to look up, look that up. Did she? Sorry to say, even say it. Did she post it on Facebook? <laughs> a lot of likes, Lisa. Oh well, then it's worth looking that at. <laughs> I better go like it to show her that I'm her I, friend. Probably wondering why you haven't. Yeah, exactly. She's probably stewing at home as we speak. And she's talking to Rebecca. <laughs> so how did you meet Nick and Nome and, oh, geez, Nick, Nome and Nev? Oy. The three ends. I met them <laughs> at the um, Henna Gathering in Rhode Island about five oh, right. years ago. And it oh, was wow. kind of this unspoken, like, oh, we're a posse now. You know, which is so fun. <laughs> And I felt like I was not worthy, um, but I know. Ugh. I'm rolling my eyes. You can't see me now. Um, and uh, yeah, and they're they're my buds. I I um, you know we're we're close enough that we can get together and inspire one another and have fun weekends, and far enough that you know, the, the stressful business aspect never overlaps. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I love having them in my life. I love, um, you know, being able to talk shop without all the, uh, Facebooky nonsense and the, you know, 
Right. It's just, it is, it's more intimate and they've helped me through stuff and I've helped them through stuff and yeah, it's good. Yeah. That's nice. Nev is actually, um, not quite in the batter's box, but I should be interviewing her soon. So I was wondering if there's anybody else you'd like to mm. interview. And even if they're not henna artists, I would love to have recommendations from somebody else who might have insight that would be useful to us. Oh, well, you know, my friend Kelly Flaherty, who is Henna Elements, is an artist. But what mm -hmm. I think would be so cool if would be is if you interviewed her about the other work she does, um, which is she works with encaustic, or is she? I don't even know how you phrase it. She does encaustic paintings, um, oh. and her artistic process is. Um, really interesting and tortured and she has great <laughs> insights about um herself as an artist and the struggles that she needs to overcome you know in order to um show her work she's never shown her work kelly i hope you don't get mad at me for saying these things um but she uh she's a creatrix but I've never seen her in caustic paintings, so I know I'm sort of intrigued, and uh, I think it would be really interesting to talk to an artist about a different art form that really carries with it so much of the same baggage that we carry as henna artists. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And especially for um, somebody who is a henna artist and knows that process. It'd be very interesting. Oh, anybody else? Um... Well, you mentioned that you might interview Amelia, and I think that would be fun. Yeah. Yeah. Love to hear about, you know, her training, if there was any. And I mean, gosh, her drawings and her henna are so fluid and so. I'm, I'm always looking at the work she does and thinking, how did she think of that? You know, and again, it's these simple turns of a line or this simple way of layering that has this incredible mm -hmm. effect and our eyes interpret it in exact way that she intended yeah. to give it perspective. Yeah. And it just blows me away. Illustrative. Yeah, that is, oh, sorry, go ahead. Illustrative work is something that I have never had a handle on. So to see someone doing what yeah, she does yeah. is just phenomenal. Yeah, you really describe her work so well. I think that's it. You know, it's, that's what I see, but I can never really, um, articulate it that way and I think what always amazes me is that people people like her can have that incredible precision because she really is so precise and yet be creative and flowing you know her pieces don't feel dead from the precision they are just like I don't know they just really jump off I think the, the precision is something that you know where where I like to have negative space to rest the eyes her precision offers a place to rest the eyes because our eyes flaws, oh. you know, the, the line that came too close to the other parallel line or um, the circle that wasn't quite round enough. And it's so easy on the eyes to look at her work. You know? oh. Yeah. Oh, that's an interesting perspective. Very, very interesting. Huh. 
Yeah, um, I definitely have to get her on. Um, she and I have been kind of going back and forth, and I let the ball drop a little bit, so I should get on that. Um, I just saw another design by her the other day, and it just blew my mind. And, you know, I just had to, like, turn the computer off and just contemplate that. So I think I should be talking to her very soon. Yeah, and I think, you know, what's you were hitting on this a minute ago in – you would think somebody with that type of precision would kind of be churning out the same type of work each time, but she is so experimental and it's really, oh, it's really exciting to see the stuff that she comes up with and yeah, intimidating. And like, I, I can't draw parallel lines that don't meet at some point, you know, it just, and those tiny, tiny lot, you know, the pens that she uses, goodness, they're like, it's like drawing with spider web. I, I have no patience for it. <laughs> yeah, me either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a good reminder to follow up with her and, and schedule an appointment. And so the other person is Kelly, Kelly Flattery, Flar Flaherty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And you, and she's yeah, henna elements. elements. Yeah. yeah okay. Mad at me, but whatever. Yeah, Rip. she'll get over it. <laughs> Maybe this is you outing her, and you know she knew it was time, and yeah. she's ready to go. Well, I'm going to have to end this conversation. I have a client coming in about a half an hour, and I need to get a bite to eat and make my place a little presentable. So. Oh, thank you on. so much. Thank you. It's just such a fascinating conversation. I had no idea where it would go. I feel like I barely know you. And uh, it's all been a very delightful Good. surprise. Well, it, was, it was fun for me too. I, I think someone needs to interview you soon. <laughs> maybe, maybe once I get a few more of these under my belt. <laughs> yeah. I'm happy to do it. I'll interview you. Oh, Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll keep that in mind. So if I ever have any slow periods where I've run out of people to interview, I'll, I'll let you interview me, but I have a long Good. list of people. Good. I'm coming. Uh, I said, keep them coming. I love listening. All right. Awesome. I will. All right. Well, thank you again, Rebecca. It's been very, very special. And uh, I hope that I do make it up to your shop very soon and see your yeah. newest work Good. of art. Have a good night. Okay. Okay, you too. Thanks. Bye. Thanks again, Rebecca, for your incredible concision and clarity and yet wealth of ideas. It was such a pleasure talking to you and picking your brain and talking about so many things that I think are common to all of us henna artists. It was a real pleasure. I hope that we get to have conversations in the future, but in person. Good luck with the opening of your store. For those of you who don't know Rebecca, her name online is Heartfire Henna, and she has a shop opening in the Burlington area next week. Thanks as always to everyone for your awesome feedback. It's been really, really helpful and supportive to hear from you, so keep it coming. Also, if you like to be up with the latest thing, make sure you subscribe to this podcast on iTunes so that you are notified as soon as a new episode is out. Also, thanks to Nash Karam for the photo and to Shlomi Cohen for the awesome intro music. His album is available on iTunes, Google Play, and Amazon. It's called Breather. Thanks so much for listening and see you next episode. Bye.
No, I just feel more connected to you now that I can't see you. 